Thanks, Ben. You know, one of the great, just an aside, one of the, Pam, I'm going to tell a story, but don't put the timer on. So, one of the great blessings of being part of community of faith is the journey that we get to take with each other and the journey of life that we get to take with each other. I, I was listening to the words Ben was singing, but I was also remembering when Ben was born. And um, Kyle and Allison were visiting for the weekend. I remember when Kyle was a fifth grader. Now they have their own baby. One of the great journeys that God gives us are the relationships that we have with each other and, and the abilities that we have to share in the kingdom of God. We're a blessed people. We're a blessed people. Let us hold tight to those relationships God has given us and work hard at them and give God thanks. Well, we're in the midst of this journey. Um, I told you last week it'll be more than a month, but probably not more than two. I don't know. Through the book of Acts. And it uh, started with Pentecost Sunday two Sundays ago and, and the birth of the church. And we're walking through the book of Acts and, and looking at the early church and, uh, and the fruits of the early church. And so we continue this morning in that journey. I... Um, Anyone that has ever entered into the life-changing experience of parenthood has faced this foreboding dilemma. And, and, and it, is a, it, is, it is more daunting than an avalanche of diapers. It is more difficult than spooning uh, pureed peas into the moving orifice of a baby's mouth. More discouraging than saving the large sums of money for college education. The foreboding dilemma... What are we going to name the baby? That's the big question. It's, you've got to get it right. You've got to, you gotta, it's got to fit. It's got to feel right. And, and, and tomorrow, tomorrow is, is uh, our oldest, Lake's 16th birthday. I remember when he was born, too. But I can remember 16 years ago today, we still didn't know what we were going to call him. In fact, 16 years ago tomorrow, we still didn't know what we were going to call him. We, we were struggling with this name. We didn't know if he was a boy or a girl. We didn't know if we were going to name him after one of Jamie's grandfathers, Lyndon or Marion, or after my grandmother's Hazel or Viora. None of those sounded good. And, uh, and then we thought maybe it ought to be something. It was the year 2000. Maybe we ought to tie it into the, into the year. So if it was a girl, we thought maybe Y2Kayla. Um, or if it was a boy, Will Anium, maybe. Um, it's tough. We, we weren't making any progress at all. You know, when you name a, a kid, it's all the hopes and, and traditions that you're trying, to, you're trying to put together. And, you know, you can buy dozens of books to help. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. And you can go to Google. You can put baby names in Google. You know, if you do, there are over 4 million baby name sites. No wonder it's tough to name a kid. Who needs 4 million sites to look through? I think we looked through most of them um, just to, to try to figure it out. According to Social Security, from 1900 to 1925, the most frequently given male name was John. Then from 26 to 34, it was Robert. James popped up a year later, and then it was back to Robert from 36 to 39. James was on top again in 40. Robert reclaimed the honors in 41, only to be ousted by James again in 42 and 43. James, Robert, and John struggled for about a decade back and forth amongst themselves until 1953, when Michael appeared at the top of the list. 
And with the exception of David in 6062 and 63, Michael reigned supreme through 1999. The last few years, the most popular baby name for a boy has been Liam. As for female names, Mary, 100 to 1946, almost 50 years. Then Linda rose to the top from 47 to 52. Mary was back at the summit from 53 to 61. For the remainder of the 60s, it was Lisa. And then 1970 came, and Jennifer ascended to the top all the way through 1984. In 85 and 87, Jessica was the number one pick. Ashley had a brief reign in 91. Jessica was back on top in 94. Emily took the lead in 95 and kept it for many years until the last couple when the most popular girl name today is Emma. Did you guess that right, Dave? Good. You want to sit with Pam? Um, baby names. They change. They change from generation to generation to generation. Popular names change. But the most powerful name has not changed for a long time. That name has been on the top of the list. And I want to look at it in Acts chapter 4. Would you stand for the reading of the New Testament this morning? Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, reading the first 12 verses. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came to Peter and John while they were speaking of the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John because it was evening and put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under the heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. I hope you saw it. It was in verse 10. The most powerful name, Jesus of Nazareth. No other name wields such strength. No other name is so mighty. In order to really catch the story, we've got to back up just a smidge to, and to understand what's taken place, what has set this in motion. It was just after Pentecost, and Peter and John are on the way to the temple. And on the way to the temple, as they're going in, there is a lame man there, a lame man who was picked up and brought there every day by his friends so that he might stay there and panhandle the passers-by. And when the beggar saw Peter and John coming into the temple, he asked them for a handout. And that's exactly what he got, for Peter took his right hand and looked him in the eye and said to him, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I will give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. 
And to the astonishment of all who were passing by, the man was instantly healed. He got up and he began to walk, and he began to dance around in the temple courts, walking and praising God. And, and you can imagine there was all kinds of commotion that was taking place, and this large crowd is beginning to gather around Peter and John and the bouncing man, and, and, and questions began to be asked. What, what's going on here? What's taking place? Is, isn't this the guy who used to be out on the temple stairs? How is he bouncing all over the temple courts? And the miracle allowed a perfect time for the gospel to be presented. And it's an awesome story, and we could talk about that, but I think what's interesting here is the, is the Sadducees and the priests, they, they're irritated at Peter and John. They're so irritated, in fact, they throw them in jail and wait for a hearing on the next day. Look at verse 2. You see why the priests and Sadducees were, were so agitated. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. Interesting, they weren't upset that the beggar was healed. In fact, they're probably glad of it. Probably clean the stairs up a little bit, kind of move him on a little bit. What, what they're upset about is the source of the healing that Peter is proclaiming. In verse 7, they ask, by what power, by what name do you do this? And by the way, it's not an honest inquiry. They knew what they were going to answer. See, claiming the power of Jesus Christ was a direct challenge to their authority and, I think more importantly, to their security. Jesus was the one whom they had crucified, the one that some were calling the Messiah, the one that people now in the thousands were beginning to understand, rose from the dead. And, and Peter, Peter is now identifying these signs and wonders with Jesus. He's claiming that through Jesus you can have salvation. He's claiming that, that through Jesus you can have the forgiveness of sins, that through Jesus you can be healed and even the resurrection of the dead, and it's a power far greater than theirs, and I think it frightened them. They were vividly aware of something that so many have forgotten, that the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth is a powerful name. But why? Why is it so powerful? I, I think the writer of Acts helps us in verse 10, 11, and 12, and that's what I want to concentrate on our time this morning. First of all, Peter says, there is only one name that has conquered death. In verse 10, he says, It's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. What power can instantaneously heal a crippled man? Peter says it's the very same power that can defeat the grave. And if you've got the power to defeat the grave, then a withered limb is no big deal. The one power seems to have power over all of us, that seems to frighten us, is the power we call death. There's nothing more sinister than death. Death is often called the, the great equalizer because none of us are going to escape it. None of us are getting out of this thing alive. Death has a grip. At least that's the way the world sees it. It's the way the world reports it because that's the way the world does it. Life is tough, and then you die. But it doesn't have to be that way. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 15 and look what Paul says in verses 20 to 26. It'll be on your screen. He says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. The end will come, and when, the hands, when he hands over the kingdom of God to the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. 
When Jesus rose from the dead, he made his victory sure. And see verse 27, for he has put everything under his feet. Paul's quoting the psalmist in Psalm 8, verse 6. Christ has defeated death. Let's go back, back to verse 11 in Acts 3. See what else Peter says about the powerful name of Jesus. He says, Jesus is the cornerstone in which the builders rejected, the cornerstone or, or the capstone. What's he talking about? Peter is saying that there is only one name that is rejected by men and exalted by God. Again, he's quoting from the psalm, Psalm 118, 22. See, if you compare the kingdom of God to a building, then the religious leaders are, are the builders, and, and they examined this stone called Jesus Christ. They, they looked at him and decided whether he could be a brick in this building or not, but, but they found him unusable. They, they, they set him aside, unsuitable. They rejected him. But God, the main architect, came along and saw the stone lying in the grave and picked him up and decided that not only could he be a brick in the wall, but he could be the cornerstone. He could be the capstone that holds it all together. The cornerstone is the stone in which all other things are measured. You see, if it were not for Christ, the world would fall apart. He is the, the one by which all things are measured. Now you say, are you sure that's true? You you look a little skeptical, so let me help you. Colossians 1 says that 15 to 17 says this. Paul's saying some really incredible things about Jesus. He says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and here it is. And in him all things hold together. If that's true, and I think that it is, we better pay close attention to this one named Jesus. We better embrace him rather than reject him. We better make sure that his name is not just one we speak on our lips, but his name is one that is written on our hearts. You know, most of us in this room would identify ourselves as Christians, people who bear the name of Jesus Christ, who call ourselves followers, and yet, Yet sometimes the way we go about living our everyday life sometimes gives no evidence of that. You see, we're so careful in our society today. We're so careful to not offend anybody with our claims of faith. I got a little lesson of that just this week in my own life. I end up having to preach to myself, and if it works for you, that's wonderful. But, um, you know, I was with my mom all week, and there were times that I wanted to pray with her. And, and in the beginning, I, I, was, I was like, well, okay, I think this is a good time, Mom, because I think, oh, they're just coming in. Oh, no, the surgeon. I think, you know, and, and trying to, and after a while, I thought, well, why am I, why am I doing that? I just pray. Yesterday, I prayed, and there was, thoracic surgeon was waiting his turn standing behind me, and, and, uh, and one of the nurses said, amen. We go to great lengths to avoid the mention of his name. So what happens is the, the religious eccentrics speak on behalf of Christ followers, and the media is really good at finding the very most eccentric ones to highlight. Folks, the greatest thing that you could do for your children or your loved one or your coworkers or your neighbors is to accept Jesus Christ, to claim him as your own, to, to live for him alone, that he is the cornerstone that sets all things, but, but here it is, the greatest thing you could do is to talk about him, to talk about him in your homes and to talk about him in your community, to tell of his power to save, 
sing of his might, write of his love. Make them the subject of a conversation in your life. Don't fail your children and your friends. Share Jesus with them. You know, one of the greatest tragedies of all eternity would be that you leave this world to spend eternity with your Savior and the words of your children echoing in, their, in your ears. My mother never mentioned the name of Jesus to me. My brother, my brother never gave me that most powerful name. My, my friend never said a word. The lady in the office down the, down the hall never told me the difference that Jesus could make. I tell you, one of the things I hear people say all the time is, is just in casual conversation, I'll hear people say, oh, you know my buddy Frank. Oh, you, yeah, Frank, he, oh, we've been fish, just fishing buddies for 10 years. Oh, we hang out all the time. We go fishing all the time. Or, or my buddy Frank, we go golfing all the time, or we, we do this all the time. And, and I'll hear then, I'll hear somebody say, yeah, you know, I think, I'm not sure. I think Frank might be a Christian. And I think, you, you, you've been with him for 10 years. What else is there to talk about in the boat? God help us if they say that of us. God help me to have that never be said of me. That you could spend 10 years with me and not know that the foundation of my life is not rooted in the things that I control, but in the God who created me. There is more. There is more that we can do by just living out our faith than we could imagine. There's power in the name of Jesus. One more thing that he says about the power of Jesus' name. He says, it is the, it is the name that opens the door of heaven. Verse 12 says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. See, what about those people who say that there are, all the, there are all kinds of roads and there's interstates and there's trails and all kinds of places that lead to heaven? And just get on one of those and, and eventually you're going to get there sooner or later. Could, could, they, could they be right? Or what about the person who says, you know, I know some people who are very sincere and they are moral. You could even be a church member. They, they have great intentions. Isn't that what it takes to get into heaven? Does, does the gospel have to be so exclusive? First, let me be clear. I don't get to decide who comes in and out. That's God. Second, and I trust him with that. Second, I think there'll be people in heaven that you'll be surprised about. I think there'll be people who aren't there that will surprise you. But here's the deal. I've aligned myself with the cornerstone. That's who I identify with. I, I'm a follower of Jesus, and so I can do nothing else than listen to what Jesus says. And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And Peter says, only one name will open the doors of heaven. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name in heaven given to men by which we must be saved. You see, I think the problem is we're not so bothered by the exclusivity of that claim. I think the problem is that somehow we want to excuse ourselves from bearing witness to Jesus Christ right where we are in our own family and in our own workplaces and in our own community. Because if this is true, if this is true, then you and I have an accountability to who Jesus is. If this is true, 
It's like standing in the room of people who are sick and you hold the cure and not saying anything to them. You see, being close enough to call Jesus by name should turn your life upside down. It should change your values to be kingdom values. It should affect your conversation. It should revolutionize your life. So if this is true, then we have a responsibility to share what God has done for us. And by the way, can I just tell you, I don't think the gospel is exclusive. I don't think that it's exclusive because I don't think there's a bunch of checklists that you have to follow because what we learn is anyone who calls on the name of Jesus can be saved. Anyone. So what's in a name? We give our kids all kinds of names that represent our hopes and our dreams and our traditions. And in giving our children their name that they're stuck with forever, regardless of how old they are, may we not fail to give them the name, the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the only name that conquered death, the name that is rejected by men and exalted by God, the name that will open the doors of heaven. Talk about him. Sing about him. In your notes and letters, write about him. Make him the subject of your conversation. Focus the focus of your life. Place in their hands and on their lips and on their hearts the experience of what God has done in you. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that on Monday? This is the story, and we're walking through Acts, and we see this, and we see these proclamations about Jesus. How, how does this... How does this work out in our life on Monday? Can I just offer you two suggestions? The first one is this. Sometime this week, you will find somebody in need. Now, I doubt it will be on the temple steps, but there will be somebody. And that need will vary in all kinds of ways and, and in all kinds of shapes, but there will be somebody in need who crosses your path this week. How will you give them Jesus? There will be people. You just have to open your eyes. How will you give them Jesus? The second, you know, we're known by our names. Even from a distance, I can associate. I, I know that's Greta, and that's Joan, and that's Jim, and that's Steve, and that's Gene. How do I know that? Well, I know it because I've associated your face with that name. Over time, even from a long way away, I could pick you out, and, and I know your name. I've associated who you are with the name your parents gave you. What if, what if we worked in such a way by the way we lived and by how we loved and the places we put ourselves and how we treated each other? What if, what if our face became synonymous with the work of Jesus? What if just as easily as I can spot Katie on the back row, I can watch one of you in the way you live and the way you act and how you are in the community, and I can say, that's Jesus. That's the hands and feet of Jesus. What if, what if our face became synonymous with the people around us? You see, the name of Jesus is not some magical incantation. It is the relationship that God has given us. There is power in the name of Jesus. What if how you live, you shared Jesus, not by using your words, but just by how you love? How do we do that this week? Live 
in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me? Father, thanks this morning for the book of Acts. These were a group of folks who were just trying to figure out what it meant to be the church. And we're a group of folks who are trying to do the same. And God, some of the things that we learn as we walk through Acts aren't new things to us. They're, they're things we know, and, and, and yet we confess that sometimes the things that we know that we do the least. And so thanks for the reminder today in just a very simple way that we serve a God who raises the dead. We serve a God in, that has nothing within power. And yet we live as a people sometimes just as quietly as we can. Lord, would you help us when we come across the people on the temple steps by the way we love and by the way we act and by the way we live? I'd love to be confused with Jesus. I'd love everybody in this place to be confused with Jesus because the way we live looks so much like him. May we live in the power of the God who created us, who said this world is not all there is. Live abundantly here and live eternity with him. God, there is hope beyond whatever circumstance because there is power in the name of the crucified Christ and his, your grace is sufficient for us this day. Help us. Help us from a distance to be your hands and feet to look like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go in his name.